Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you today. Thank you for tuning in. It's our privilege to welcome you and uh, inviting you also, if you can, to grab a Bible. Because we may need to look at some passages in the Bible today. It's a very interesting uh, topic. We are uh, talking about our condition. We talk about the fall. And we are all affected of that. I would like to welcome our panel. Today, I'll maybe a bit more um, smaller than usual, but uh, it's good to have with us uh, Helen. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's great to be here and it's great to be involved in this study. And I would like to welcome uh, Joe. Thank you, Nick. It's always great. It's always a pleasure to be here. And uh, welcome Lija too. It's a blessing for me. Always I said it's a blessing. It's a real blessing for me because it's a, it, it expands my knowledge and the Holy Spirit is working in my heart and mind to understand more and more and deeper the Word of God. Now, uh, in our panel, um, I don't have only ladies. I will welcome Len also. It's good to have you with us, Len. Thank you, Nick. And hello, listeners. And Len, I would like to just thank you for putting together this uh, Bible study you are facilitating today. Please take us through. Okay. Well, listeners, do you remember the nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. You know, a lot of the nursery rhymes go back to English history, and this one is probably about the English king, Richard III, who had severe scoliosis. In other words, he had a hump back, and he fell from his horse named Wall during the Battle of Bosworth Field in 1485. Well, Richard's injuries were so severe that he never recovered, and of course he died. But, you know, this nursery rhyme may also apply to what happened with our first parents not long after creation. Theirs was a perfect environment. That was the Garden of Eden. All was at peace. That is, until the villain entered and disrupted their lives. And this will be our study today, the fall. But before we begin... Joe is going to uh, offer a prayer on behalf of us and you who are listening. Father, we pray that your spirit will be with us as we reflect and study about the fall and the devastating, the devastating consequences for the human race, which is all of us. None of one. No one has been left unscathed. We have all experienced the joys and pain of our fleeting existence. We know that suffering and death was never part of the plan you had for humanity. You love and delight in the human family and long to be forever with us. It is your desire that you would dwell among us. That's what it tells us in Scripture. Give us further insight into your love and please return soon and restore all things to the perfection that it was in the beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Joe. Well, you know, when God created the world, he provided a garden environment for our first parents. And we read in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 
15 and 16 and 17 the following. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And I'm sure some of you are wondering, well, how come God would provide this beautiful, mature environment where there were fruiting trees and probably nut trees and where everything necessary for their uh, survival was provided. And yet he put one tree near the middle of the garden. He said, do not eat of that tree or you will die. Why would a loving God do that? Well, I think the answer is this. It was done out of love. You see, if there's no possibility of doing or going against what someone gives, there is no possibility of demonstrating love. My wife, for example, I know she loves me, but she is free to choose if she wants to go and live with somebody else, and I wouldn't be very happy about that. But that can can only be demonstrated when there is that free choice. Love involves free choice. Now, if there was no tree in the middle of the garden that they were forbidden to eat from it, how would they know whether they loved God or not? Because there's no way to test it. So God provided that tree out of love to give mankind a choice. And we know that since if we, we are allowed to choose or we are allowed not to choose to honour and serve God. So that tree served a very special purpose. And as we'll learn today, things went horribly wrong. Well, anyhow, Lydia, what happened? Let's read uh, first the verses. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. So we observe here that there is a conversation between Eve and the serpent. So <laughs> did, did the serpent could speak? The question is, uh, many times I was thinking on the fact that this conversation was through an impression of the mind or sounds or movement in asking questions and responding. But the Bible clearly says that Eve answered, participated in conversation, answering um, the questions. So Satan, being a spirit 
creature. He entered into the serpent and spoke spoke to, to Eve. So it means impersonation. We have an example in the Bible when the, the angel spoke to uh, Balaam's donkey uh, because Balaam was um, very stubborn in his uh, decision. So yes, Satan could speak because he's a spirit creature and he used impersonation. Okay, so really it was the, the devil speaking through the serpent. serpent. Yeah. Okay, but how come a devil got involved? Where did the devil come from? I thought God's creation was good. In fact, the Bible says it was very good. So, um, Helen, would you like to share what happened that the devil could get involved here in creation? Absolutely. In fact... I'd like to read for you from Revelation 12, 7 to 9. Uh, the last book, we're, we're dealing with the first book of the Bible, but we're going to the last book for an explanation here. It says here, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. You'll notice here the names that have been given to the name, to the devil. And, um, we, we just read in verse nine, he was called a great dragon, an old serpent, uh, the devil, and Satan. And if we look here, it, you know, you have to see that the devil is not just a symbol or a legend, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but he is very real. <clears throat> and originally we're told here that Satan was an angel of God, but through his own pride he became corrupt. And he his name Satan means accuser, and we're told that in the Bible uh, in Chapter 12.10. And he actively looked for people to attack, and Satan likes to pursue believers who are vulnerable in their faith and who are spiritually weak or who are isolated from other believers. And we'll notice that Eve was definitely isolated um, from the other believers. So the good news is, though, and we're going to read this later, is that Satan will be bound forever, never again to do his evil work. But he has all these names that, re that refer to him. And I think we've got to realize that he is very, very real. He's not imaginary at all. He is very, very real. And he um, took over the serpent. And, um, yeah, it was Satan that was speaking through the serpent. I think that was a good analogy that Lydia gave before about Balaam where yes. um, the donkey spoke, but it wasn't a donkey speaking, really. Hmm. It was, in this case, an angel speaking through the donkey. And... Uh, I've realized that a lot of people don't actually understand where original sin came from. For example, my wife and I have some friends overseas. They've been church people all their lives, but they never, ever realized that evil came into this world through the devil who tricked our first parents, and uh, we've had to suffer ever since. Nick, we know the devil is subtle. How is his subtlety described 
in Second Corinthians 11, verse 3. Yes, Len and um, panel, uh, this is a very interesting uh, passage in the Bible, but probably to understand this, we may need to just give a bit of background. I'll read the verse first, uh, which says uh, from um, New King James, but I fear lest someone as the sp- serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now here Paul is addressing believers. And uh, in the previous chapter, if you uh, read uh, verses 12 to 17, you'll find out here that uh, Paul is describing even his position in terms of uh, uh, authority. And uh, he wants to not to be seen as, as he was the, you know, the founder of many churches, uh, not to be seen the authoritative figure, but Christ to be lifted up and Christ to be presented and preached. And here he says in this verse here, because he is now, he has some concerns for the brethren you know, and their faithfulness in regard to uh, to the faith uh, in Jesus. And he's saying this, uh, he's had concerns, he said, but I fear, you know, lest someone, and he gives here the example of the serpent, you know, who comes in the picture, which we just talked about. But after that, he says that your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Was Eve's mind corrupted? You know, and this is probably where uh, we can see how the enemy, Satan, is using all those uh, opportunities. I believe the enemy studied Eve's movements or Eve's intentions or Eve's even maybe, I don't know, the Bible doesn't really say, maybe Eve came close to that tree and look and admire, who knows? But I believe Satan in his craftiness, he studied Eve first and then launched the attack. Yes, well, of course, there are people these days, there's um, at least one religious group that I know of, who don't believe in a literal devil. They say, oh, the devil, that's just the the badness within humankind. But, Joe, did Jesus believe in the devil? Well, the answer to that question is um, yes, Jesus definitely believed in the existence of the devil. In fact, Jesus knew him. As what Helen has written, we can trace his um, existence to heaven where the Bible says there was war in heaven that Helen read out to us. And Michael and his angels, well, Jesus is Michael. Michael and his angels fought against that dragon. Um, and I won't read the rest of the text, but that's, you know, that's how far it goes back, long before our planet. And um, we, know, we know in Luke ten eighteen, Jesus says, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, he definitely knew the devil, and we have evidence that the devil's angels most certainly knew Jesus, as is obvious from the account of the demoniac of Gadara, 
where they actually spoke to him. And they called out, what do you want with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? You know, and then, of course, they speak to him, ask him to drive them out into the um, herd of pigs. And then, of course, there's the uh, the classic, the, the temptations of Christ, where Satan himself takes Jesus from one thing to another, asking him to pay, you know, homage to him and um, try to trick him into um, like he did with Eve. And so we know that that didn't went, go very well for Satan because Jesus stuck to the truth and to his father and um, repelled him that way by using the word of God. So Jesus uh, certainly believed in the devil. Did the New Testament writers believe in the devil? Well, yes, of course they did. Um, we've got um, numerous examples of that. Where, like in James, where it says, "Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you." That's written by James. And then in First John, it tells us, "The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning." The reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So, and then of course in First Peter, that's another excellent one. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So here we have the devil. The New Testament believed in him. Jesus believed in him. Jesus knew him. And so there's no doubt about his existence. Scripture otherwise would be recording lies. And so, yes, there's definitely a devil and it's not something, it is not some kind of, um, you know, our own feelings or evil thoughts. There is a persona that is antagonistic to God and his purposes and is going about seeking whom he may devour, causing a lot of suffering in the world and trying to attribute it to God, God's hand. Lydia, is the devil real? I think Joe's suggested that the devil is very real because Jesus and the apostles believe, but would you like to share with us here? Yes, the devil is very real. Actually, the scripture identifies this serpent in Isaiah as the enemy of God. And in Revelation 12, 9, it says that he's the devil and Satan, the great dragon, the ancient serpent, who leads the whole world astray, and the devil and serpent. So when talking about the devil, uh, in whatever form he appears, the Bible is not using mere metaphor. In scripture, Satan is depicted as a literal being, and not just some rhetorical symbol or an abstract principle to depict evil or humanity's dark side. Okay, so I thought it would be wise for us to spend a little bit of time, although we're doing about what happened at creation at the fall, just establishing the fact that the devil is not just some figment of the imagination or a metaphor to describe something else. All right, let's come back to the story about the fall. Helen, would you mind reading, please, Genesis 3, verses 1 to 6, and then just put in your own words what what happened and what was different between what God said and what the serpent or Satan through the serpent said. 
Happy to do so. But just before I read that one, Lynn, I'd like us to flip back to Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And it says here, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. They were God's words. Thou shalt surely die. And now if we go to the text you've asked for Genesis 3, 1 to 6, it tells us that now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it. And then she lies. She says that God said, neither shall you touch it, which he didn't. And then she says, lest you die. And that's very subtly put. But we come to verse 4 and it says, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. And he goes on to say, for God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes. A tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. There is a a compact version, if you like, of what happened in the fall but the words are very clear in genesis 2 16 and 17 god said thou shalt surely die not lest you die or maybe you'll die he said thou shalt surely die and satan in chapter 3 verse 4 says ye shall not surely die there's a difference and he baited the hook by saying if you do eat of it you're going to become like god yourself absolutely And so they took off this fruit. Well, we uh, learn then that some dramatic things happened. Here we had the first lie. Satan said, you won't die. Then we have the first sin, which is doing what God didn't want them to do. So what happened? Realizing they had sinned, head on Adam and Eve. Joe? It was the first sin and the first lie on earth. However, we know that lies were spoken of and there was war in heaven, as we heard earlier. But on this planet, this was the first first lie and the first sin. And what can I say? Sin changed them. They felt self-conscious and vulnerable. Their, their souls felt naked and they hurriedly made themselves aprons of, of fig leaves which could not cover the disquiet that they felt. And this was a a new range of emotion, something they had never, ever anticipated or experienced before. They felt afraid and a strong urge to hide. You know, imagine going from innocent confidence and dignity and the God-given poise to this jumble of unpleasant feelings and fear. You know, something was terribly wrong, and now they even dreaded dreaded the presence of God. So I'll read what it says in Scripture, but keep that in mind. And uh, it comes from Genesis 3, 7 and 8. Now, they ate the fruit, and then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Now, this sort of nakedness no amount of clothing can cover. A nakedness also on the inside, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So here, Len and Panel, we have not only had sin change their perception of themselves, sin had also warped their perception of their loving creator, Father. And this is why people are afraid of God. Sin has done this. Okay, so they tried to cover up what they had done wrong. And isn't this the case these days when people do wrong, they try to cover up? Uh, There's been quite a bit about some of our politicians They've done certain wrong and um, some have avowed that they hadn't done anything wrong. They tried to cover up and then later on it was revealed that they had done wrong. So it seems to be a natural tendency when human beings do what is wrong, they want to cover up just like Adam and Eve did. Now we come down to Genesis 3 verses 9 right through to 22. Nick, I don't expect you to read all this. And he asked them some questions. So what were the questions, Nick? Right, Len, as you just said, um, I will encourage uh, uh, our listener to maybe check this in uh, in the book of Genesis chapter 3, because um, here is the record of uh, what happened after uh, Eve took that fruit and listened to the voice of the devil. There are a couple of questions here uh, in verse 9, for example. First of all, uh, God called Adam and said to him, where are you? That was one question which God asked. And then uh, Adam replied, you know, uh, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then the second question God is asking, who told you that you were naked? It's very interesting how God uh, uh, dialogues here with um, with Adam and Eve. And uh, further on, God is continuing with the, with the third question, saying, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, you know, started here the process of blaming, you know, and he was starting to say, oh, but, you know, the woman you, you gave me, she made me eat from this tree and so on and so forth there. Please read this uh, passage in the Bible and, and ponder upon it because it's very interesting how that reflects even our uh, condition today and our attitude. So often we have that uh, inclination to just blame anybody else but not looking at our own condition and our own faults. Yes, well, we'll deal with that a little bit later on. But those two questions, in fact, you added the third one, are very pertinent because nobody said you've done wrong. They knew they had done wrong because inbuilt in mankind is a conscience. We know what is right and wrong. And the results, or the result in this case, was try to cover up to hide, which is typical of what happens when somebody does something that's sinful. Anyhow... Coming to this naked business, if Adam and Eve realised they were naked after they were sinning, were they wearing clothes before that fell off? Or what's the deal here, Helen? While you were talking, I was thinking to myself, isn't it interesting that Satan actually had said, your eyes will be open? And um, I found that extremely interesting when I was looking at this. Their eyes certainly were open, but they were open because of their guilt and their shame. 
not in the way that Satan was indicating. But when I think of this as well, I believe that they were naked or felt they were naked because the closer that they had a very close walk with the creator. And I believe that his light, his robe of righteousness covered them. And I believe the closer that you come to Christ, that's what actually happens. And we can think of uh, in Exodus, the story of Moses, uh, when he went up to get the Ten Commandments. And as he, he, he conversed with the creator right there on the top of the mountain. And as he was coming down the mountain, you might remember that the people were actually afraid of him because his face shone after the experience he had. It was that closeness, and that shows me that when we walk close with God, he will cover us as we walk with him. And the closer we are to God, the more that we see our sinfulness when we sin, but the more that we can rely on his righteousness when we confess to him to cover us. And I believe that that is actually what happened to Adam and Eve. They were surrounded by a robe of glory, light that comes through being holy. I would like to add to what Helen says. Adam and Eve, they were naked before sin, but after they sinned, they felt naked. Before they didn't feel, but after that, they felt naked because they lost their garments of glory, which reflected God's presence. So it means that their robes of light disappeared their intimacy with God was disrupted because of their newly uh, discovered intimacy with self-centeredness of evil and um, their purity and innocence and transparency and openness to God's relationship was broken before they were clothed with the garment of light, which it says that it's a light and a glory of God, but to sin they lost that. And because of that, they felt naked. They felt like exposed. Now, Ledger, in God, in answer to God's second question, have you eaten? What was Adam's reply in Genesis 3 verse 12? When the man was asked, his reply was, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. And I ate it. So Adam put the blame on his partner, on the woman that God gave him to live with him. Okay, now progressing on from that, Helen, what was Eve's reply to God's question, what is this you have done? That's in Genesis 3 verse 13. The woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. That's an interesting word. You know, the serpent beguiled me. The woman had that answer ready, I believe, blaming the serpent for deceiving her. And, you know, it was like they would just wanted to deny the facts and um, escape uh, the incrimination that they had. But I thought it was also interesting that um, she followed on from what Adam had said. And so the blame game was coming down the line and they both actually had full knowledge of its consequences. Yes. Joe, what's your comment on this? 
Well, I would say that it's uh, second nature to humans to shift the blame to someone else. You hear it as soon as children um, can speak. You know, my sister made me do it. I did it because you were teasing me. You know, I knocked over the vase and broke it because you pushed me into it. Um, and you hear it, as you mentioned, um, Lynn, from politicians. Whenever anything goes wrong, it's someone else's fault or the previous government's fault. In fact, to be honest, we have all been guilty of blame shifting ourselves at some point in our lives. And I can't help but wonder if anything would have played out differently if Adam and Eve had acknowledged their guilt and asked for forgiveness. You know, instead of trying to blame each other, the serpent, even God himself, if they had said, you know, Father, we we have done wrong, we never imagined we, you know this would happen. Would it? How things might have been a little bit different. And I just like to refer to. I think Helen, you might have said this: if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John one nine. You know, if um, God expects each of us to take personal responsibility and accountability for our actions, and if we approach God as they should have, perhaps, and we don't blame other people for it, um, confess our sins, um, God promises that he would forgive us. So, um, yeah, that's a thought. I just want to expand a little bit on that, uh, what Joe uh, said, uh, because that's a very interesting thought, and we can actually make a big thing uh, uh, out of it if we want. One one thing I would like to, to say is that God specifically said, in the day you'll eat from that tree, you will die. It's interesting because when we talk about Satan and the freedom of choice, you know, when God said something, bear consequences. What I would like to apply in our life, and Apostle Paul speaks about that, should we sin more than the the grace will abound? When God says not to commit that sin or that, because that will bring consequences. Now, of course, if we confess ourselves, God is willing to forgive us. But in that aspect, I would like to think, because that's very difficult to to make a a, a clear cut there, I would like to say that 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 was the consequence, because God said it. In the day you'll eat from that fruit, you'll die. If they will come and confess, I don't know what would have happened, I, I don't know, and I don't want to go into that too much, but I like to emphasize this point that God said that, that you'll die in that day when you'll eat. Yes, Helen? I just want to come back to what um, Joe was just saying. You know, it, it seems almost like a second nature with us to blame somebody else. We don't want to take that responsibility. I know it starts very early because when my son was a toddler, he, he, I said to him, do not go and disturb the girls. They're, they're chopping up some cow cow, some sweet potato. And he went downstairs and he willfully climbed a, a seat, sat there and grabbed the knife and he peeled back his thumb. And he came out there crying and I said, what did I tell you? And he said, but mummy, the devil made me do it. <laughs> so even as a youngster, it seems to be the way that, you know, we always want to blame somebody else. Now, I'm really keen to tell you a story that happened to me when I had just begun school. My little brother hadn't started school yet and we had a sand pit and he used to play in the sand pit. Anyhow, I had received a little watch. It didn't work, but it did have a wider and the hands would go around and I thought this was wonderful. My kids these days would probably throw it away, but this was special to me. 
In the morning before I went to school, I carefully put it in my drawer in the dressing table. When I came home, it was gone. I approached my little brother and I said, have you taken my watch? No, he said. Anyhow, later on, I found the watch band in the sand pit. I said, you've taken my watch because here's the band. Where's the other part? He said, a lizard ate it. <laughs> well, this is part of our family history. A lizard ate it. If you tried to blame somebody else, it's always the lizard. Let's move on. So the lizard was on timeline, wasn't it? Oh, Brendan, please. <laughs> okay, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, then God starts to pronounce some curses. Now, a curse is basically saying a consequence. It's not that God is actually making spoiling for them, but it's a consequence of their actions. Helen, would you read about that and just explain a little further? Yes, Genesis uh, chapter 3, 14 and 15. Very important verses, especially 15, and I know we're going to enlarge on that, but let me start at 14. It says here, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life, and I will put enmity enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Wonderful prophecy that. But let's think about what the serpent was like in its original form. I read uh, a quote that said, the serpent was a beautiful creature with wings, and while flying through the air, his appearance was bright, resembling burnished gold. He did not go upon the ground, but went from place to place through the air and ate fruit like the man. Satan entered into the serpent. Now, I I look at serpents. I saw one last Friday when we were at Cuddly Creek Sanctuary with the group. And the serpents there, they make your skin crawl almost. And and they're not the, well, they are beautiful in their colorings, but not as they were first created. And um, when God said, thou art cursed, the curse of sin rests not alone on the serpent, but on all the animal creation, though it was to bear a greater curse than its fellows. Formerly the most clever and beautiful of creatures, the serpent was now deprived of wings and doomed henceforth to crawl in the dust. Really, when you think about that, it, it should not be supposed that unreasonably brutes, unreasonable brutes were made object of the anger of vengeful God. I don't believe that. This curse was for Adam's benefit as one means of impressing on him with the far-reaching consequences of sin. After the fall, and I'm sure when they saw the, the serpent on the ground, it must have had quite a, an impact on them. It must have brought intense suffering to his own heart as he beheld those creatures whose protector he was supposed to be, bearing the results of sin. And upon the serpent, which had become for all time the symbol of evil, the curse fell more heavily, not so much that it might suffer, as in, in the, the serpent, as that it might also be for man a symbol of the results of sin. It's little wonder when you think about that land that people today, human beings, feel repulsion and dread in the presence of a serpent. Okay. Uh, Nick, who did God address in Genesis 3.15? Who did he address really? 
Yes, Len, uh, that short answer will be he addressed Satan. But I just want to add to this because a bit earlier we talked about that God asked few questions to Adam and Eve. Uh, God had an investigation there. God knew what happened, but God asked those questions. The reason I'm saying this is because even today, in the times we live in, there are lots of things going on and people don't want to accept some of the teachings of the Bible in regard to the judgment or about the investigation and all those things. But you see here, God gives us an example. He investigated the situation and then he addressed uh, who was responsible, and that was Satan. Very important point, because uh, I will encourage those people who deny the role of uh, the investigation judgment. Okay, thank you for that. Well, now, Brenton, in, uh, perhaps you could read Genesis 3.15 again. What did this Certainly. prophecy foretell? Certainly, Len, happy to do it. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. We believe this is the first prophecy mentioned in Scripture. Uh, It's a messianic prophecy because the person who fulfilled it was none other than Jesus Christ, where on the cross he said, it is finished. And uh, that's a, a definitive statement. Now, what's interesting about this, Len, is that The term seed, referring to the woman's seed, is not just her progenity or her um, genealogy from there on. It's actually in the singular. So Satan would have understood, using the serpent as a medium, that somebody, not, not some things, somebody was going to come and put an end to his reign here on this earth. You could describe it as a fight to the death, I guess because that's essentially what happened. Christ's death on the cross actually satisfied uh, this particular issue. So this is a very, very interesting text because what would have happened is when we get to our next study, we're going to look at uh, chapter 4, I'm sure, but verse 1 of chapter 4 says this, and I'm tying it in with what I'm saying. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. The Hebrew was really interesting. The Hebrew states, I have acquired a man, the Lord. So Eve would have been thinking each son that she bore might be the Messiah. Now, that's interesting. All the way through till Christ came in the line of David, Satan would also be thinking which one of these people is going to become the Messiah. So um, God is certainly far-reaching in his, his views on things. And when the Messiah did come, Satan would have studied prophecy, just as the Jews studied the Old Testament prophecies. He would have studied them as well. And he would have had some idea as to when the Messiah was going to come. So this is, I believe, it's a, um, a promise. It's a um, sentence on Satan, but it's a promise to Eve and to Adam, that somebody was going to come and that this would not go on forever, the serpent's head would eventually be crushed. Oh, Brenton, while you're speaking, maybe I could ask you this question. Did the sin problem start and finish at Eden? Unfortunately, Len, the simple answer to that is no. (laughs) It didn't because um, 
what does Romans 3.23 say? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think it says the wages of sin is death in Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life. So um, sin pays wages. Eternal life comes from God, but it's still present with us in 2022. And I think as panel members and sharing with our listeners, we can all agree that the struggle of sin is in our lives on a daily basis. And that's why we need the grace of God to overcome. All right. Now, looking back into the history as a result of her disobedience, um, what would happen to Eve and womankind, Joe? Um, that's a really good question, and it's it's a text that has been debated and um, argued over. The text says, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. I guess we have certainly seen this throughout history, deaths in childbirth, sometimes mother, sometimes child, sometimes both the pain of infertility even in a society that valued large families, toxic relationships and so on. I guess at first glance in this verse it would appear that it was God's will that all this would happen to punish them, that he had cursed Eve. It also appears that Eve was now given a master to rule over her and that she was to be controlled by her husband's will and that this was her chastisement, a deserved punishment You know, and many people have thought so, and some may still do. And it's, and I guess it is easy to jump to that conclusion if you read that text in isolation. However, however, this is not an interpretation that can be reconciled with the rest of Scripture. We know that. We must remember that God's will was always to bless and care for his children, boy and girl, a God who never changes and has not changed outlines what his will for his children is and as it was from the very beginning in Eden. And I I reconcile, I compare that to what's said in New Testament, that husbands would love their wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her, that they would desire and protect and work together as a team. Adam was given the responsibility to care and protect his wife and care for his family selflessly as Christ cares for the church. However, as God faced his erring children in Eden, he knew what would happen. Something that they could not have even imagined was around the corner, the complete perversion and warping of his original plan, the death, pain and suffering which would now follow. He knew that some men and women would be cruel taskmasters and abuse rather than cherish, but this was not God's will but a consequence of sin. God never intended that Adam or any man to lord it over any woman or any other man for that matter. And some may be surprised that God himself likens himself to in the Old Testament as the betrayed yearning husband, longingly and lovingly pursuing a rebellious and unfaithful wife. You might remember that, Mm. his people Israel. He himself could have been a hard taskmaster who ruled, and yet it was, he says, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And that's another discussion in itself. So when God pronounced those words, they were not God's will and intention, but a foresight of what would now be their lot in life. The curses pronounced, I think you mentioned, Len, were the consequences of sin, not God's will. 
Sin has its own consequences, which lead to death and despair. However, as Brenton mentioned, God had given them the good news first in the previous verse about the seed of the woman, which would and should have sustained them in the future. So when things went pear-shaped, they would not be swallowed up in despair, but look forward to their Redeemer, Jesus. I'd like to add also that people who... People who say that God wanted Adam and Eve to suffer for their sin and that it was his will know very little about the character of God. It is the enemy that causes suffering. So when you or and I are suffering and attempted to think that God is punishing us, why don't we read John 3.16 to remind ourselves? I just wanted to mention that I observed that Adam Adam named his wife Eve after the curse. And uh, Mm -hmm. he said that uh, she would become the mother of all living because before, when God created Adam and Eve, she was named woman. And after after the curse, he gave her a name Eve, which means living. Okay. What I would like to add, um, Len and panel, uh, Joe really raised up some very interesting, good questions there and always prompts me to, to add something there. As she said that there is no room for uh, men to rule over a woman and things like that, even though God said from the beginning that now the desires of a woman will be after her husband. I would really like to clarify that one. If we live in sin, that's the result of our sin. But if we give ourselves to God, if we repent, you know, the, the relationship will be restored. But I really like to emphasize this, my dear listener. If we allow ourselves to live in sin, then no wonder that will have all that effect in society. And you'll see, because that's again what God said. But that God's intention was not to be like that. God, that's why God provides. That's why God said, come to me and I will restore you. And I know myself because I lived in dysfunctional family. I live in those things like that. But when you give yourself to God and you really practice what you believe in, indeed, that will be not the curse to say so upon you. Because that will be the blessing of God. Okay. Well, now, Helen, what was cursed because of Adam's disobedience and how did it affect him? It was interesting that it was the ground um, that was cursed. If I may just have the time to read Genesis 17 and 18 and 19. Um, it says here, and unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. In other words, he put Eve over God and has eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Let me just read this first, and I want to comment on that word, for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. I think it's very interesting to note that the same word that had been used to express the sufferings that uh, was that Joe mentioned associated with childbearing is now used to inform Adam of the difficulties to be encountered and eking out a meagre living from the cursed ground. 
And Adam, you know, since Adam's fall, human achievement may be realised only through toil. Nevertheless, it should be recognised that this punishment was indeed a blessing in disguise. And often we don't think of it, a blessing in disguise for sinful beings. When a person works, they're far less likely to sin than when they spend their days in idleness. Toil and labor develop character and teach us humility and cooperation with God. So it was actually, oh, the ground was cursed with the thorns and the thistles, but Adam was blessed. It was cursed for his sake that he would remember the sin and through toil, but he would also learn humility and the things that God wanted to teach him. Okay, well, now, God saw fit that Adam and Eve should not stay in the garden. Lydia, where did they live after that? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 23 and 4, it says that, So the Lord God banished Adam from the Garden of Eden, and he uh, drove the men out of the Garden of Eden. Okay, so they were banished. They had to live elsewhere. Let's um, finish up, and I have one last question. Helen, I address this question to you. God, in his kindness, provided something for Adam and Eve. What was it, and what does it signify? Interesting question. Thank you, Len. If I read um, 3.21, it says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. Interesting that they made fig leaves themselves, but they wouldn't have lasted for a start. And God provided them with some with much more durable clothing, suitable for the hard labor that lay ahead. And as a protection against the extremes, extremes of heat and cold that followed the fall. And the, the skins would have been a constant reminder of their lost innocent of death as the wages of sin and the promised lamb of God who would be his own by his own vicarious death, he would take away the sins of the world. You know, he who had been commissioned as a protector of the animals and, and the animal creation now unhappily would have found himself covered, taking the life of one of them and that that animal had to die that they may live, symbolic of when Christ died on the cross that we may live. Okay. They were protected and we are saved not through our own works but the works God does for us. Well, listeners. So true. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not make Humpty Dumpty whole again, nor can money, power or influence heal the world of sin. But Jesus can. Now, in summary of the chapter we've studied today, chapter 3 of Genesis, we have an overview of how original sin came into planet Earth. It also gives a glimpse of the great controversy between good and evil and an introduction to the remedy for sin. It also provides an answer to the fate of the devil, Satan. Here is something very important I want you to realise. By disbelieving or removing the creation story out of Christianity makes absolutely no sense. Without the creation account, Christianity is contradictory and illogical because so many Old and New Testament verses refer to it. Jesus believed in and taught that the creation account was factual. And as we continue this series of Bible studies, 
from the book of Genesis, we will share with you, listeners, how God has dealt with mankind through Earth's early history. It will be shown that God is a good God and cares for his created beings. He wants you to be in his kingdom of glory. Yes, he wants you because he loves you. Brenton, would you close with prayer for us? Certainly, uh, Len. Father in heaven, I just want to say thank you for Genesis 3.15. I want to say thank you that as a gracious and loving God, despite the fact that Adam and Eve fell and despite everything that has taken place on this planet since, we can have hope that because of Genesis 3.15, the day is going to come soon when sin is destroyed and when this earth is remade even better than it was when God created the Garden of Eden. We thank you that we can be part of that. We thank you that each of us can be there that day to see that restoration of this earth. And we are praying, Lord, for our listeners that they too will say in their hearts, Lord, I want to be there. I want to be there to see Eden restored. I want to be there to eat, uh, to meet Adam and Eve and those who were our progenitors. We thank you that all of these promises will be fulfilled and we give you the glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 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 Thank you, everyone, for your participation today. Great study and uh, uh, still more to come. Looking forward for uh, next time when we are going to see even more the effects of the fall and sin. And we are going to talk about Cain and his legacy. Until then, may God richly bless you and walk safely in the footsteps of Jesus.